0: all of you for your faithfulness to God's house in these difficult times. Hey, I saw a story or a headline today, um, inflation 9.1% officially. I saw that right. So I'm going, you know what? But God's in charge and the American economy does never stop God. God is not hindered from taking care of his own. Ask Elijah who got divine room service from a raven twice a day. Uh, carried to him at the brook Cherith, uh, just taking care of him in a, a very difficult hour of judgment in Israel's time. So anyway, let's stand together. Everybody that's got some energy, say amen. amen. Everybody that wishes you had some energy, say amen. amen. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, uh, I feel good. I want to thank Sonny for being here, Pastor Sonny on Sunday and bringing the word of God. Right. Amen. He's my lifelong dear friend. I've got, I've got a pocket full of friends that go all the way back to the 70s. And um, we've been together all these years. When we first met, we both had brown hair, right? And, you know, things change. You know, the way men have their hair colored is cheap because God does it, right? We just get silver. Uh, and I'm often wondering, what would people look like yeah. if, like, for six months, we couldn't make it to the beauticians, the salons, the store to buy makeup? Yeah. Um, come on, ladies, say amen or oh me. What? What would... Amen. So I took a break. I wasn't sick, nothing like that. I just needed a break. I just needed... I've been, you know, the Bible says much study is a weariness to the flesh. And I'm going to tell you, that's a true verse. That's Ecclesiastes. So I sat at home while he was preaching. I just read my Bible, soaked it in, didn't need to get a message, didn't need to put together a message, but just for me, I just soaked it in. And it was good. And I needed it. So I appreciate that. I'm glad I've got uh, the pastor Sonny's in the wings that can step in for me every once in a while. So tonight... We're going to look at the book of Revelation, and we're dealing with, well, tough times that are coming on planet Earth, and I want to pray. And then we're going to be tonight in chapter 15. We're actually going to make it to 16, and we're, we've rounded the curve, and we're almost in the final stretch. So, Lord, thank you for your message today. Thank you for your word. Lord, we know that we're coming to not just any word, not just any book, but the sacred text the very word of God given to us through men of old who were moved by the Holy Spirit and wrote what the Spirit moved them to write. This is a book of Revelation, Lord, and we're in the book of Revelation, the final book in your book. And so we pray that tonight you'll open our eyes and open our understanding. Give us clarity and help, Lord, these words tonight, to cause us to look up and lift up our heads because our redemption is drawing ever so near. In Jesus' name, amen. Tell your neighbor, Jesus is coming back soon. Amen. Amen. And by the way, uh, is it hot enough out there for you? I mean, what is it? 130 today, and I was looking next week. Next week it's supposed to be 105 and above the whole week. So it, it makes me thankful that I'm saved, because that's just a little bit of what hell would feel like. Amen. You know that people didn't move south until they discovered air conditioning. Then everybody started moving here. Until then, it was like, God bless you. I'm not going. Amen. Now, uh, we're going to, this is part 12, by the way, we're in the 12th uh, night, and I think that, uh, like I said, we're in the final stretch, and I'm probably going to be done, I'm going to guess, within six weeks or less, and so it's good, and you know, remember, the title of this whole series is, there's a whole new world coming, brand new world coming. It's darkest before the dawn. And that's what we're reading about here. Now, last time in chapter 14, if you'll remember, we were introduced to six important angels involved in the mighty end time harvest of the wicked for judgment. The wicked were compared to grapes. You remember that? In a wine press, and when you put grapes in a wine press in Old Testament days, then men would step in there and and step all over the grapes and crush them. And, and that's how they got the uh, grape juice and I guess eventually the wine and so on and so forth. But the analogy is that the wicked will one day be crushed by the judgment of God. So the wicked are compared to grapes in a wine press. And we closed out with a mention in chapter 15 of the final seven judgments known as the bowl judgments. And that's where we're going tonight. The bowl judgments. Because remember the 21 in all, there's the seal judgments. Trumpet judgments, bowl judgments, seven, seven, seven. And to me, they escalate. The seal judgments were terrible, but not as bad as the trumpet. Trumpet's terrible, but not as bad as what we're about to read. It's going to be a very tough time on planet Earth. And um, yet, as we read about the reaction to the judgments of God on the part of the people In the tribulation period, it's a little easier to understand why the judgment of God would be falling on them in the first place. Because even though they know it's God's judgments, they lift up their face and they put their fist in God's face and they blaspheme his name. When they ought to be hitting the dirt and saying, God, forgive me, have mercy on me. But no, they are defiant to the end. And it shows you sort of the kind of character... And, and the place that people reach when God finally unleashes judgment. And I've told you that if you took all the judgments out of the Bible, warning of judgment, the records of judgment, so on and so forth, you have a very skinny Bible. Because a lot of the Bible is about God's judgment. All right, He's a God who judges because He's a God who's holy. Not only a God of love, a God of holiness. Because He's a God of holiness, He's a God of justice. So Chapter 15, the Apostle John's eyes are turned once again to the approaching judgment. We read in verse 5 of chapter 15. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the testimony of the witness in heaven was op- open. The temple of the testimony of the witness. Now, what was the temple of witness? Well, it's probably where God remembers the death of the martyred tribulation saints. You remember that? all those people that are pictured in earlier chapters, under the altar, and they have been martyred. And they're asking God, when is our life going to be avenged? Because our lives were taken wrongly, unfairly. We didn't do anything. We were living right, and we were killed for it. So I believe that's what's happening here, and and that's the temple of witness. And it's worth noting, I think, for all of us how personally and seriously God takes it when His children are mistreated. Didn't Jesus say, Whoever does it to you does it to me? And inasmuch as you were either good or bad to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You know? How many of you men in here are married? Raise your hand like you're proud of it. Got guys out here. It's sort of like I think I'm married. Come on, guys. Okay, now, what would be your, your response if, you know, you leave tonight, and let's you, say you went to a convenience store, and somebody walked up and, and just began to push your wife around? Now, let me tell you, if you're normal, you're no longer in the spirit. Right? You're, now, I'm not telling you that's the way you ought to respond. I'm just saying I think that's the way... Most would forget all about being saved just for a minute there. And you get in the flesh. But, but why? Because you touch her, you touch me. Right? And if you don't feel that way, come down afterward. I want to lay hands on you and pray for you. Because that's the way men are. And the same thing with your children. I mean, if somebody goes and beats up on your children, oh my, Katie, bar the door. Because they touched you when they touched them. God's no different. Now, he doesn't act like we do. He's not in the flesh. He's spirit. But there's going to be a day of reckoning for everybody who abused God's people. We know that from the book of Revelation. All right. John witnesses next... The awesome arrival of the final seven angels carrying the seven plagues called the bowl judgments. So here we go. Verse six. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. These are elevated angels. Now, all angels are elevated. That is, they are spirit beings who do the bidding of God. Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that they come to minister to those who are going to be heirs of salvation. They are mighty, the least of them, but they do have a hierarchical, hierarchical structure. There, there, are some angels greater than others. We've got normal angels. We've got archangels. We've got cherubim, seraphims. There's different levels. I believe verse six is pointing out some higher level angels, elevated angels. They're clad in white and gold, both symbols of purity. They seem to pause in front of the temple. Verse 7, then one of the four living creatures, remember them? Gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls. Now look what it says, folks. Full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. Now catch that. You said, well, I, God's got to love. He doesn't judge people. Oh, please. You and me would be ripe for judgment if not for the blood of Christ. All right. So here's the seven bowls of God's wrath. The four living creatures are the angelic beings called cherubim. And we met them in Revelations four, verses six to nine. Now cherubim are angelic beings involved in the worship and the praise of God. Scripture says in Ezekiel 28, 14 to 15, that prior to his rebellion, Satan had been an anointed cherub. We note that when one of the uh, cherubim hands the seven bowls of judgment to the seven angels, there is an immediate reaction. Revelations 15, 8. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So horrendous are these final seven plagues that the heavenly temple in glory in the third heaven where God dwells is filled with smoke. Closing any access to this heavenly sanctuary As far as John's view is concerned, until the seven plagues are completed. So earth is about to experience the final seven bowls of God's wrath. All right. This is a big deal. So we come to chapter 16, verse one. Then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out on the earth, the seven bowls containing God's wrath and the seven angels with seven bowls are released from the throne room of God with the command to pour God's wrath out. And that's what we're about to read about. So let's look at them. Here comes the first bowl. I got to tell you, it's nightmarish. I'm just going to read to you what the Bible says. Now, Now, some people say, Pastor Jeff, that is really hard stuff. I don't know why you teach Revelation. It's the Word of God. He intended for us to read this. Come on, everybody. I mean... If he didn't want us to know about this stuff, he would never have given it to John. But John got this when he was an old man, isolated on the Isle of Patmos. It's around 90 AD. The fall of Jerusalem has happened 20 years before. He's in his 90s now. He's an old man. And look what God shows him before taking him home. Heavy stuff. So here we go. Here's the first bowl, verse 2. So the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth. And foul, malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast. Everybody who had what? Mark the, the mark of the beast. And who did what? Worshiped his statue. So when you buy into the beast system... When you buy into that B system, you're done. Because this first bowl is going to be poured out on you. Now, I was looking at this and I thought, what are these sores? Well, they're very, the only thing we know about is skin cancer. So I started to do a little little word study and the word foul is translated from two Greek words, kakos and poneros meaning severe and malignant, bad and evil. So put it this way, you don't want one, right? So I'm thinking something like melanoma. That's the only thing I can, they're, it's kakas bad, poneros, evil. We get pornography from the word poneros, all right? Evil, that's what pornography is, it's evil. You do know there's nothing redemptive about it. Don't amen don't amen me. Amen. I said, You do know there's nothing redemptive about it. Amen. It's evil. And it is destroying our culture, but I didn't come to talk about that. So that's the first bowl. The second bowl is poured out. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. Oh my ocean. I love God's creation. This is hard for me to read because I love the creation of God. Listen. If I ever did step aside and went somewhere and decided to write books the remainder of my days, I'd want to go to the ocean. The mountains, you can have them. Give me the ocean. I want to see those waves. There's something eternal about that ocean. Those waves rolling in, rolling out. To me, it's like a lullaby. Let me go to sleep listening to the ocean. But now, look, this second bowl is going to be poured out on our oceans. And it became like the blood of a corpse, O oh Lord. And everything in the sea died, Oh my Lord Jesus. Everything in the sea died, beautiful, everything, marine life, gone. When the second angel pours out his vial on the oceans, his bowl, they undergo a complete change of chemical composition, whereas in the earlier trumpet judgment, only a third of the seas were affected. That was the trumpet judgments. This bowl, that's why I have to say it's worse. This bowl judgment brings tragically total destruction to the oceans and all marine life. I can't hardly stand it. But I know this, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Come on, everybody. Amen. God knows exactly what he's doing. Yes, he <clears throat> then the third bowl is poured out. Here comes bowl number three, verse four. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs, and they became blood. Now, this is the rivers and the springs. So what's being affected here? Water. Water. All, all of the H2O. The, the oceans, the river, springs, drinking water. They've, they've been struck now. Now, it reminds you of Moses' judgments, right? When the Nile was turned to blood. Yeah. Verse 5, and I heard the angel who had authority over all water, catch that, who's sovereign over the water, man, the devil, no, there is an angel over all water, saying this, you are just, O holy one, who is and who always was, because you have sent these judgments. So notice what the angel doing, this is terrible God, but you are just, okay, since verse six, since they shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. Do you catch that, everybody? This is all about vindicating the shed blood of martyrs. It is their just reward, says the angel. Verse seven. And I heard a voice from the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. There he goes again. God, this is awful, but you know exactly what you're doing, and it's just and right. right. Then the fourth bowl poured out. Then, verse 8 and 9, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat. And look what they do. And they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. Look what it says, folks. And they did not repent and give him glory. They know this is judgment, but they look up and they blaspheme God's name. Who's doing all this? And they don't repent. They don't give him any glory. They, they say, this is the hill I'm going to die on. I'm going to die on the hill of blaspheming God. It's really stunning to see the hard-heartedness of last days, mankind. Um, John observes that though they know these calamities are the judgments of God, uh, they do anything but repent. These first four bold judgments are devastatingly successful, universal in their destruction of earth's ecology. I hate it. I truly do hate it. I appreciate God's creation so very much. I always have. I don't worship it. I don't hug trees. But I'm going to tell you, I so appreciate the beautiful handiwork of God. And, and here the ecology, you know, everybody's so worried about global warming. Let me tell you something. Man will never fix what's coming. It's coming. The entire unsaved human race is smitten with cancerous sores. All of the oceans are totally destroyed, along with all of marine life. All of the natural springs providing fresh water are destroyed, and the ozone layer is obliterated, which explains probably the skin cancers. Though this could hardly present a more grim picture, I wish I had a camera flash of you guys' faces right now, because this is hard to take. But here's the deal. We've got to keep in mind it's darkest before the dawn. Now, the Son of God is soon to return to install a glorious millennial kingdom of peace and righteousness. And so it's darkest before the dawn. Amen? And when the dawn comes, nobody's going to remember any of this. I am, I am persuaded, said Paul, that all these, these minuscule sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared The glory that's going to be revealed in us. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand for that? But guess what? We still got three bowls to go. Everybody say, Oh me. While the first four might be explained away. You know, if, if you were a real hardcore atheist, you might be watching all this going, well, this can be explained ecologically. It's climate change, it's climate, this or that, or the other. And and uh You could chalk it up to an ecological disaster that can somehow be explained away. The next three cannot be explained away. Fifth bowl, verse 10. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. That's the Antichrist. And his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Now, look what's happening. First, the judgment is being poured out on a Christ-rejecting, Antichrist-worshipping world. But now, the fifth bowl is zeroing in on the man himself and his kingdom. And it was plunged into darkness. Just like when Moses, uh, so many of these remind me of Moses. Remember when darkness covered Egypt? It was so dark that you could not see your hand in front of your face. Wow. His subjects, it says, ground their teeth in anguish. So everything is about to collapse. The Antichrist kingdom is about to collapse. It's it's about to end. Now in chapter 17, we're going to look a lot more closely at the rise of Antichrist kingdom. But here John is jumping forward. I've told you he does that sometimes. He'll jump back in time from time to time. Or he jumps forward to give us a little glimpse of what's coming. And that's what he's doing here. He's jumping forward to give us a little preview of how it's going to look towards the end. So the fifth bowl spells the end of Antichrist's brief reign of terror. Now apparently it's here that those who have followed him are going to realize we've been had. We've been had. They will gnash their teeth in anguish over God's judgment. They're going to gnash their teeth. That's what John said. I saw the Antichrist kingdom, all those subject to, subject to him, gnashing their teeth. They're, they're knowing it's all coming to a close. We've been had. He's not what we thought. What a terrible place to be. Oh my. We see also that the fifth bowl is followed by a strange cosmic darkness possibly caused by dark clouds of interplanetary debris we don't know what causes it could be totally supernatural as when jesus was hanging on the cross it became dark as midnight as midnight at high noon could be that now the inhabitants of the earth begin to recognize this is the judgment of god The kingdom of the antichrist is coming apart at the seams. And and what do they do? Once again, their stone cold hearts refuse to repent. And instead of turning to God, they turn against him. Verse 11. And they cursed the God of heaven for their pains and their sores. But they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. Everybody say Crazy. I mean, if I'm watching hell, and I know it's from God, and it's it's because of my sin, man, I am beating a fast track to the nearest altar, and I'm saying, God, forgive me. But no, and that's why I say, look at this. And then is it hard to imagine why they're coming under judgment? I don't think there's anywhere in the Bible where the wicked heart of men is more prominently displayed than here. Maybe a few places, but not many. Aside from Pharaoh's refusal to repent during the many plagues during Moses, uh, I don't know of any other example in the Bible. Now next, here comes bowl number six, verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up so the kings from the east could march their armies towards the west without hindrance. Now we're coming to the war of Armageddon. The sixth bold judgment drives up the Euphrates River. Why does God do this? It tells us that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. We're headed towards the worst war mankind has ever witnessed. And it's the war that Christ will return to stop. God's going to make a way for the land armies of the vast eastern Asian continent to surge through the Middle East en route to the land of Israel and the Valley of Megiddo and the final battle of the Great Tribulation. The Chinese, they could easily amass an army of mega millions of people. The kings of the East, the Far East, the enemies of Israel will march against her for one last massive assault against the Jews. At the end of the Tribulation, The final battle of that great day of God Almighty, the Battle of Armageddon, is about to take place. Remember, the Euphrates River now, think about this, it's 1,800 miles long. 1,800 miles. How long would it take you to drive that tonight? And 750 feet wide and 30 feet deep, yeah, God's going to dry it up. Just like he did the Red Sea. Just like he did the river when they crossed it, the Jordan to go in the promised land, God seems to like to dry up water (laughs) to let his people, or or for his purposes, right? With one sweep of God's mighty hand, this massive ancient river is going to dry up. Now, how this happens is anybody's guess, but rest assured it's going to happen. It will happen. These kings of the east will no doubt include the hordes of China and India, which are beyond the river Euphrates to the east. And and we cannot omit the Muslim nations of Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran, and Iraq. Who hate Israel? In this end time scenario, God is bringing the forces of Satan across the dry riverbed to be utterly destroyed by none, none other than Jesus Christ at his return who will be followed by his heavenly forces. Now get ready, including the redeemed church, you. Hallelujah. Can you just pause and think about that? Glory to God. Thank you. you say, come on, Jeff, where's that in the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Here we go. The prophet Zechariah predicted this event. Listen to what he said. Zechariah 14, verse five. Thus, the Lord, my God will come and all the saints with you. Now, doesn't stop there. Jude quotes the Old Testament saint Enoch, who foresaw the same thing. And can I just insert here real quickly, he's not quoting from the book of Enoch. Jude did not quote from the book of Enoch. Book of Enoch is a bunch of gobbledygook. I can tell that matters greatly to you, but I thought I'd throw it out there anyway. Because for a lot of people, the book of Enoch is the thing you need to be reading. But the book of Enoch is not inspired. And people that love that book say, well, Jude quoted from it. No, he didn't. He quoted ancient Enoch himself. And here it is. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all. That's never happened. When did the Lord ever come, ever return to earth with ten thousands of his saints? Never. So all the way back to just seven um, descendants from Adam, Enoch saw the return of Christ and with him, the redeemed. We're going to be in heaven. We're going to have gone to the marriage supper of the lamb. We're going to have received our rewards. And when Christ returns to earth, we come in with him. <laughs> Some of you were thinking, I don't know if I want to be involved in that. Let me tell you something. Can you imagine Jesus is coming back to stop the greatest war in all the world? And we're going to be right there watching him do it. And we're going to be there when he installs his brand new kingdom. Oh, my. There's so much in the Bible. We could be here for weeks and just teach that. All right. Now, I want you to notice in the next verse, we have a satanic trinity described by John. Verse 13. I saw three evil spirits, but that's not the satanic trinity I'm talking about. Three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of who read it with me the dragon the beast and the false prophet there's the satanic trinity the devil the antichrist and the false prophet that's the satanic trinity that will cast its spell on last days planet earth and look what happens three evil spirits jump on them and begin speaking through their mouth Frogs were symbols of filth and dirt to the ancients. The frogs, John sees, are evil spirits energizing the unclean words of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. So they're speaking to the world and they have a satanic demonic anointing. And these evil spirits have a diabolical purpose. Verse 14 They are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord. On that great judgment day of God the Almighty. We're going to see as we come to the close of Revelation, when Christ returns in the sky and every eye shall see him, and he'll return in the clouds. I'm telling you, listen to this, get this. This shows you how crazy the world will be. The combined forces of the Antichrist and everybody they're battling is going to look up and see him and join forces to fight him. That's insanity. First of all, if you see Christ up there, it's time to get right. (laughs) But no, they're so crazy. They're so egomaniacal. They're they're so psychopathic. They're going to say, we can beat him, but he's, he's in the cloud. He's coming back, but oh no, we can beat God. You'll see it as we go through these last few weeks. So look what happens. These demonic spirits like frogs speaking through the satanic trinity perform supernatural satanically inspired miracles through their hands. Primarily through the hands of the false prophet who calls fire down out of heaven. So all miracles are not from God. Can I, can I, can I draw that from here? Yes. Yes. Not everything that says I'm of God is of God. Because they are doing miracles that are supernatural at their base. But they're they're demonic. The Antichrist, the political ruler, the false prophet will be a religious leader. Yet God is in charge of it all. All of it. All of it. Zechariah says in chapter 14, verse 2, I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. That's the prediction God makes for Armageddon. Notice it says, it's God who gathers all the nations. He does this so he can reveal his glory when he intervenes on behalf of Israel. Now next we see in the midst of these final moments in history, God makes a final appeal to the end time believers to hang on. It will soon be over. Quote, Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. That's verse 15. The clothing mentioned here refers to your personal walk with Christ. He's about to return, and they will want to be unashamed of his arrival. How many of you can sense something is up in our world? Come on, everybody. What we're looking at right now in our world, it's not normal. No, no, no. There's, there's spiritual forces afoot, both bad and good. And the warfare happening in our world, Christ with the devil, good with bad, right with wrong, righteousness with wickedness. The angels of God against the demons. It is at a high level of red hot heat. And if there was ever a time to get up and get with God and put on that garment of praise and those clothes of his righteousness, and I mean every day, it's now. Can I have an amen? Amen. So let's keep on going. Uh, We're doing great on time. Revelation 16, verse 16. Here comes the seventh bowl. Oh, my. Everybody say, oh, oh me. Here we go. As if there is there anything left? Well, there must be because we got one more bowl. Verse 16. The demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple saying, say it with me. It is finished. Now, with this final bowl, the thumos, that's the Greek word for God's wrath, and it means hot fury. I'm just telling you what the Greek word means. Hot fury. Thumos is complete. Startling signs immediately follow the pouring out of this final bowl. Quote verse 18, then the thunder crashed and rolled and lightning flashed, and a great earthquake struck the worst since people were placed on the earth. So the mother of all earthquakes strikes with the seventh bowl. Think about this a moment of all the horrific earthquakes and there have been horrible earthquakes, but this one is going to eclipse them all. It won't even be measurable on the Richter scale. It rips Jerusalem into three parts And it impacts the entire world. Verse 19. Now the great city was divided. How? By the earthquake into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. Look what happened. The cities of all the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God. To give her the cup of the winds of the fierceness of his wrath. Now I'm dealing with Babylon in chapter 17 and 18. So just hang on. Um. We're going to be talking way more about that in the next two chapters. But this earthquake will cause cities all over the world to crumble like a house of cards. And suddenly here comes Babylon jumping back into the picture. Great Babylon was remembered before God to give her her the cup of the wine, of the fierceness of his wrath. John's description of the effects of this mammoth earthquake continues verse 20 every island disappeared wow every island disappeared tsunamis yeah any earthquake of this magnitude is also going to be a tsunami cause tsunamis Every island disappeared. All the mountains were leveled. This earthquake, possibly the consequence of a nuclear blast, I don't know. I have no idea. But I knew know what's going to happen. It decimates the islands of the sea, perhaps through multiple tsunamis, like we already said. And this awesome quake brings all mountains down. John observes something next that is incredible. Verse 21. And great hail from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Now, what is that? What's a talent? Are you ready? A talent weighs 100 pounds. Now, I'm just reading the Bible to you. So, Jeff, maybe it's not literal. If it weren't literal, it would give us signals it's not literal. Do you know that every time Jesus quoted the Bible, Jesus was taking it literally? Have you ever thought about that? When he talked about Adam and Eve, he was saying the story of Adam and Eve is literally true. When he talked about Noah, he talked of Noah as a literal human on earth. When he talked about Lot, same thing. When he talked about Jonah being swallowed by the great fish, he he talked about it as if the account were literal. Now I'm getting into what we call hermeneutics, uh, which is the... Um, sort of the science of interpretation or how you interpret the Bible. And you know what? Unless it tells us it's not literal, you take it literally. We are literalists around here. Unless the Bible tells me it's a symbol. And here, the Bible doesn't tell me that. Y'all are so quiet tonight. You're making me nervous. I hear the wheels rolling. All right. So let's read about it. So here comes hail weighing 100 pounds apiece. Think of it. A 100-pound piece of hail would be the size of a basketball. This seems impossible. But you know what? History tells us in the aftermath of World War II, atomic devices were set off, causing the ocean waters to rise 30 to 60 feet, uh, 60,000 feet when those bombs were exploded. And when the boiling water began to fall, it created hail the size of basketballs. Let God be true and every man a liar. I'll never forget. I was had a men's men's conference years ago. Uh, I had a men's conference at East Texas. And a bunch of our men had gone off to a retreat and we were going to have a weekend, you know, whoo, 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 you know. And I remember Friday night, I was teaching. We had worship, we were having a great time and everybody's phones started going off. All these men. And I could hear their wives, literally hear them on the other end screaming. And it was the night, the Friday night, that that horrible hailstorm hit Fort Worth that knocked people to the ground, that shattered car windshields, that, that decimated the Botanic Gardens. There was nothing left in the Botanic Gardens to see. It was unbelievable. People died. But those hailstones were about like softballs. But here we got basketball size. The hail that fell when they blew up the bomb was so huge and deadly that it damaged the ships placed in the lagoons and it dented the ship's armor. And that was World War II. Could it be? That's what John is describing? We don't know. So now we're at the close. Everybody say hallelujah. The 21 horrific tribulation judgments we've explored are punitive They're not rehabilitative. Mankind at this point shows no interest in changing his ways or repenting. John yet again points out an unrepentant mankind continuing to shake its fist at God. So verse 21, and we'll close. Men, here's what it says. Again, three times in one chapter, men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. So while the seal, trumpet and bowl judgments are complete, we're about to meet next time two mysterious characters introduced in chapter 17. And solving their riddle is going to be a real eye opener. So don't miss next week. Can we stand together? Amen. Isn't this good stuff? I know it's heavy stuff. You know, we don't rejoice in any of this. This breaks your heart, but it's good stuff. And so as always, well, y'all be seated just for a second. Just be seated just for a second, because I'm going to take two questions. I, I, told, I told you I would try to do that. We're doing great. It's only eight o'clock. So let me just take two. Does anybody have a question in light of all these things? And if there's no, there's one right there. Okay. Hi. So I'm sorry. Um, So my question is, I know that you said several times throughout that people is the word blasphemy against the Mm -hmm. Lord, but they did not repent. So at that point, was there an option for them to repent and still be saved by the Lord? Yes. Uh, There's a lot of people are going to be saved in the tribulation period. Because that's who the martyrs are underneath the altar. It says, you have come out of great tribulation. That's how they're described. We've seen there's 144,000 Jews who have God's seal on their forehead. And they will preach the gospel around the world. And God actually sends out an angel who covers the whole globe, uh, commanding people everywhere to repent. And it says he goes with the gospel of the good news. So the gospel is preached during the tribulation period. And a lot of people are saved. However, they are not, we call them tribulation saints. So they're a little different from us. We are the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. Uh, the redeemed of the lamb going up in the rapture they will be tribulation saints saved the same by the same blood but they're they're kind of categorized a little bit differently but they'll be saved but they're going to be saved in extremely perilous dangerous times and many of them will lose their lives as they refuse the mark of the beast okay anyone else any other question? Wait a minute. We need to get a mic to you because you're going to be on the radio. Did I tell you that? Oh, there you go. <laughs> all right. Okay, during the tribulation, and they do repent. Um, so evidently, from what you just said, they will not be called up in the air at no. the time. They will have to go through the entire tribulation? Mm-hmm. Wow. Is there they all any go kind the of numbers? Exactly. Is there any kind of numbers of... You know, because I know some of them, you know, like we have thirds, you know, early in in the, the, the Revelation. It doesn't give us numbers, but it says it's a vast multitude. And keeping in mind that when Christ returns, they enter the millennium, the redeemed. Because remember, Jesus returns and separates the sheep from the goats. There is a judgment that commences as soon as he returns. It's not the great white throne judgment that happens at the end of the millennium. We'll talk about that. But um, when he returns, it says he will separate the sheep, the saved, from the goats, the lost. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many miracles in your name? Didn't we do all kinds of good things in your name? Didn't we heal? Didn't we do all these things? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. What were they doing? They were using his name for fame. And they were using his name for gain. They were con artists, scammers, false ministers. Hear me, everybody. False ministers. Lord, Lord. Hey, wait a minute. They're calling him Lord. How can they do that? Listen, you can say Jesus is Lord, not be saved. So that's not what the Bible says. Yeah, it is. So well the Bible says if you no man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Spirit. If you really mean it, there you go. you're saying it by the touch of God's Spirit on your heart. There's a lot of people that say it, and they don't mean it. So that's when all the false ministers are going to be exposed. And Jesus will say, Here's the deal, I never knew you. You were never in a relationship with me. I never knew you. You were using my name to make money. Hello, everybody. Few of those around today, maybe. Oh, they're everywhere. Everywhere. Getting rich off of his name. Nothing wrong with having a lot of money if you get it right. But if you're using his name to scam and con people and you get rich that way. Oh, Lord, Lord, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, that, I didn't mean to go off into that, but that struck a nerve with me because I see so much scamming going on. It's just scamming. And it bothers me. God's poor little sheep out there barely getting by. And they give their Social Security check to some guy that promises, as soon as I get your check, your runaway child's coming home. On, or your your spouse that left you a couple of years ago, they're coming back. If you just give your money. Oh, I have a problem with that. Because when it doesn't happen, they're gone. They walk away from Christ. It wasn't real. I have a real problem with that. You got to be real careful what you promise people in Jesus' name. Because you're going to answer for it. You're going to answer for it, so I could go off on that, but I need to shut up. Okay. Pastor, I just wanted to ask you, what is your thought on this new telescope that can see the stars, yeah. millions and right. millions of years old? What do you think about? That? I mean, I saw the the what pictures do I on think the about news. It? Yeah, I mean, you did you see those because they were beautiful and yeah, I was like, yeah. I haven't seen ex- exactly what you're talking about, but I know. Yeah, they're seeing all kinds of things. Way way out there. And the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, they utter speech. Night unto night, they show knowledge. There's no speech or language. Their voice is not heard. And uh, their testimony has gone out to the ends of the earth. And that's what we call natural revelation. Natural revelation is God saying, I'm here and you can see it by what I've made. That's called natural revelation. Okay? Anyone else? Real quick. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. All my life I've heard that after the rapture, those who had the opportunity to accept Christ before the rapture Mm -hmm. and had heard the plan of salvation, they will have great delusion uh, on themselves and they won't come to the Lord. Do you believe that? Well, God in Thessalonians, Paul said that God's going to send those who did not receive the love of the truth. That's what he calls the gospel. The love of the truth will be sent a great delusion that they will believe the lie. So he uses the definite article, the, which means he's distinguishing this lie from all others. This lie is king of lies, the lie, the ultimate lie. And I've always believed, at least I think it's a a, a good guess, that's the Antichrist, the lie. They'll believe the lie. However, we know that a lot of people during the tribulation are going to be saved. So, um, but it'll be, like I said, tough times. Tough times to be saved. Um, God's a God of mercy. You know, how do you, I'll tell you how you know when it's too late, when your heart stops. (laughs) Then it's too late. Can we stand together?